we were on this this journey all these characters i mean it was this hero's journey for all these characters and i think it's a shame that we never saw it come to fruition the way zach intended it to be yeah to, to see them reach their journey to become the justice league the team that they that it would have been it would, yeah. it would have been it would Listen, have been and, and, we, and it and look it like i told you i have it so it's just a question of like we got to find a way to show it someday I reckon you should show it. What's that? I reckon, I reckon you should show it. What, you think I should just show it? Yeah, I think I you mean, should. I reckon well, you yeah, I mean, No disagreement here. I think that, I mean, I don't have like, I can't show the movie right now, you know, because it's still a little bit to do, but I mean, there is, there is this. I have, I have this. I don't know if this is helpful. See that? Oh. Oh. Very nice. So there's, so that's coming. Yeah, it's a little thing there, you know. It's a little thing. It's, it's not to thing. be too, uh, what do you call it? You know. Don't get too hyped up about it. Yeah. Just, uh... Behold, now a super special episode of Fantastical Truth. This podcast from Lorehaven finds truth in fantastic stories, and we apply this truth to the real world our creator and savior Jesus Christ calls us to serve. I am E. Stephen Burnett, Lorehaven's publisher. And I'm Zachary Russell, but please call me Zach, like a certain movie director that we're about to discuss. And by the way, he spells his name the correct way. So you just heard a big announcement before Steve and I got on. It was on May 20th from director Zach Snyder. He was joined by his executive producer and wife, Deborah Snyder. You also heard Henry Cavill, who plays Superman in it. And with the British accent as his normal voice. And then you heard the fans rejoice and just heads explode. And we're here to explain why. And this explains why we're interrupting our regularly scheduled podcast program. That's correct. Next uh, time we are going to get back to that uh, interview we promised uh, with Chase Repligo, who's also talking about superheroes and heroes with us from the Bible and from modern comics mythology. Uh, I do, uh, by the way, do publish Lorehaven, which uh, we find and review the best of Christian fantasy. You can subscribe for free at lorehaven.com. And this summer, we're uh, even releasing our backlog of over 120 reviews of Christian-made fantastical novels. One review each day for the next few months. But speaking of release... Yes. You see, every once in a while, when I'm not doing just Lorehaven work, I I am part of several fandoms, Zach. I will, for this uh, instance, jump into a phone booth and I will change quickly and emerge in my colorful diplomatic attire from the Lost Planet Krypton. I am a superhero fan, and I have to work on my branding not to try to let that get out of control, you know? Like, I don't want to be Steven the DC fan, Steven the Marvel fan, Steven the only ever talks about other popular culture stories, but I'll just roll with it. Uh, People do associate (laughs) me with a lot of uh, particular DC film fan movements. It's true. Uh, I've been part of the hashtag release the Snyder cut movement. We'll explain what that is in a moment, especially because huzzah on May the 20th, 2020 DC fans and myself included in that movement went nuts with excitement. You heard a few of those fans earlier. We had a big breakthrough in our fandom. We longed for this breakthrough since 2017 uh, when the uh, justice league theatrical edition came out and most of us did not like it very much. But uh, because we're not just a Christian's parse out pop culture podcast, 
uh, we try to find truth in fantastic stories and in fantastic fandoms, we're going to not only explore this fandom and talk a little DC, talk a little uh, director Zack Snyder and Man of Steel, Batman v Superman and Justice League. We're also going to ask the question, what can Christian fans learn from the success and the joys of the release the Snyder Cut movement? And to your listener, if you're not familiar with this hashtag movement, don't worry, we're going to clue you all in. To be honest, I'm getting more of a handle on it myself. I'm not as much into DC. I'm more into Marvel, but really I'm more into just X-Men in particular. So this is a lot of it is new to me. And so you'll be joining me to kind of learn some more. Well, my interest is twofold. I am a I am a DC fan. I am a superhero films fan. But I would say that if I do read comic books, I do read more of the DC comics. I didn't grow up with them, though. I'm not that level of fan. Uh, real fans would probably consider me a late arrival, and they're right. But in this instance, I can get into the crazy details about the recent film series. Uh, hopefully, that means that I do qualify as a real fan. Uh, just don't hate me because I got here a little bit later than those of you who were in bed in the 1950s, you know, sick with the <laughs> flu, uh, and then you had your uh, your Superman or your uh, your action comics or any of those other uh, other uh, franchises that you grew up with, and I did not. You know, Stephen, I actually grew up reading Image comics. I don't know if you heard of those, like the Spawn. Oh, I have. That's that's the underground, uh, or that's the um, not DC, not Marvel, like you know, a little bit more of the independent flair, right? Yeah, I mean, so side note, I, I was a total stereotypical geeky uh, teenager because I had a I got on my bike and I rode about a mile from my house to an actual comic book store where I would find the latest image comics or, or like X-Men, like I mentioned. But uh, anyway, let's talk about this whole hashtag release the Snyder Cut movement. What is all that about, Stephen? Well, that is a movement of fans who, like I said, uh, loved, m most of them loved Man of Steel, which is the Superman film directed by director Zack Snyder and his uh, creative team made a, I, I feel, a really great action-adventure reboot of Superman uh, in 2013. And then three years later, they released an effective sequel, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, in theaters. That polarized a lot of fans. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people loved it. And a lot of people didn't get it. And a lot of people hated it. And there's different reasons why people have that kind of reaction. Among them, the expectations that people have for these kinds of movies if, for example, you go in expecting a Marvel-style movie or, or what you've come to perceive as a Marvel-style movie with what you think would be a lighter tone and some you know, jokes and more uh, character-based humor, that, uh, that wasn't what you got. Uh, even if you were expecting, though, you know, sort of a Dark Knight-type movie, uh, which is a, a popular movie that goes a little bit deeper into the lore and uses it to explore some bigger themes, uh, Batman v Superman tried to do that, but also was just a very bombastic and yet also slow moving <laughs> action adventure uh, as uh, Batman and Superman are fighting, not just because of their different power sets or because one's light and one's dark, but there's a lot of other themes going on there and won't go too much into that. Uh, wrapping it up, uh, there was going to be a third movie, Justice League, which uh, brought other heroes into the storyline, and that was going to release in November 2017, so going on three years ago. And what happened in May of that year was the director was let go or had a bounded choice uh, decision to step out, whatever it was, uh, the, uh, the Snyders, uh, actually uh, Zack Snyder, the director, his wife, Deborah, is his uh, producer. So they work together a lot, very, very much a power creative team there. 
but they also adopt a lot of kids. And, and one of their daughters actually had committed suicide. So this isn't gossip or anything like that. It was part of the story and they had to go public with that. And, and yet the family needed some privacy and obviously trying to helm a great blockbuster, even one without all the controversy, wasn't what they needed. So for very deeply human reasons, they stepped away from the movie. The people making the movie, Warner Brothers said, okay, we're going to fetch Joss Whedon, who had directed a couple of the Avengers movies at that time. He will finish the movie, just add some bits, because they were already talking, right? Uh, him, and, uh, him and the Snyders, they were already working together. And so Joss Whedon's going to finish the movie, and it'll be otherwise just like uh, Zack Snyder intended it. This was a prevarication. <laughs> when the movie released, huh. it was okay. I was there. I liked it okay. But it, it certainly left a hollow feeling in the days afterward. And many fans felt the same way. And those who were even more familiar with Snyder's style and emphases immediately went to the internet. And although they weren't using this hashtag, they were signing petitions and calling for the longer, more in-depth uh, movie that they were promised in the trailers because it wasn't just little bits of the trailers that were missing this was an entirely different movie and indeed actors and the creatives the artists and eventually snyder himself in the months afterward would confirm over and over first yes this was a completely different movie it used maybe 20 minutes of the original footage that was shot which were the best moments of the movie oh wow that little that little okay. yes well the movie okay. was two hours long the theatrical edition in, in theaters was two hours long. The original cut the director made was four hours long. We now know at least four hours long. He got it down to, I think, a 214 minute cut with a lot of studio feedback. And yet huh. even that edition uh, ended up in a vault and uh, was never released. It never saw the light of day. Okay. So you, so right there, you mentioned vault. So again, just, uh, I'm, I'm kind of the avatar of people that don't know a lot because I don't know a whole lot about this myself. So when fans wanted to release the Snyder Cut, they had some awareness that there actually was a full cut. They did. what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay. Because the creatives who had made it would say so. There were actors, ah. some, some whose names you might know, others whose names you don't, because they were in original versions of the movie that their career stalled out because they had signed on to this amazing blockbuster to play key roles, some that would lead to A-list success for them later if that huh. version of the movie had released, and yet they're under contract to not come out and complain, but some of them would anyway, or the news would leak and the fans would out them, as it were. Uh, we huh. found out who was playing a key role of a villain, uh, and there were visual effects artists and storyboard artists who would talk about it, and a lot of this went on Twitter. So eventually this coalesced into a hashtag called release the Snyder cut. That is we're okay at best with the version we got, but we know there's a better movie in there. And this isn't a theoretical movie, by the way, like I said, this, this movie did actually exist. It was in a rough form, but it did exist. Just needed visual effects, music, color correction, polishing up all of that stuff, but it was real. And there were a lot though, of people who didn't like Snyder, like didn't, it wasn't just that they didn't like his work. They seemed not to like him as a person, either movie critics or fans who thought he was trying to ruin Superman or ruin Batman. And there's a lot of toxicity there. I'd say there's some toxicity on both sides, and we'll talk about that. But well, let me go back to something though. So that yes. this almost sounds to me like a palace coup because there's these people on the inside that, like you said, there's people that didn't like Snyder, but then there's a lot of people that really did like Snyder and liked his vision. And 
you know, some of them, like you said, couldn't disclose that there was a Snyder cut, but, but they did anyway. And so who was the most high profile person either on the cast or the crew of Snyder's version that made this uh, public? Well, the movement really got a jolt actually just this past November in 2019, when on the two-year release date of the film, none other than Ben Affleck, who had played Batman and who had uh, been back and forth on whether or not he wanted to continue doing that after all that happened to this movie, he tweeted out, release the Snyder Cut. Oh, wow. And So, so he, he was really, well, not behind the original thing, but he maybe secretly. <laughs> yes. And at that point it was just the hashtag was too popular, too much behind the scenes information came out. Snyder himself on his preferred social network would actually leak some of the details himself. He, he likes to post images from his storyboards and other concept art and props and things. And so he had said enough to make enough fans realize like, okay, wait a minute, I'm no longer going to be satisfied with the, the hollowed out version of the movie in theaters. We was robbed, y'all. And I, I probably said a few times myself uh, in conversation with, with friends and in my own social media posts, wow, uh, we were robbed. Like, I'm not going to be a jerk about it. You know, there's such a thing as different creative visions. And, you know, this is the business and this is how movies are made at this giant corporate level. But let's release the Snyder Cut. So Affleck joined and that gave the movement a huge boost and obviously warranted lots of coverage among the geek blogs and the fandom blogs. Gal Gadot then also posted, I think it was in that order, uh, she plays Wonder Woman, and that also raised the movement's profile. And then a lot of the other actors said the same thing. Jason Momoa, who plays Aquaman, he had been a champion from the start. He actually said, I saw the cut. He showed it to me. It was sick, bro. <laughs> you know, doing his thing. And all of that just encouraged the fans a lot. But it really was, though. It was a fan-led effort it has been uh, has been led by fans who loved man of steel and loved batman v superman and they had been trained to have their expectations reset for where those movies are going and they really wanted to see them continue with justice league yeah so this is already such a totally different thing than when episode eight of star wars came out because that you know that was very divisive as everyone knows the, the last jedi and there was actually a huge petition to force Disney to remake it, but there was really no option to remake it. It wasn't like it wasn't like this where there was one director and then another director. There was just a director that half of everyone that saw it hated. But there wasn't like another one that had a different vision for it. I guess you could look at it like Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams had a sort of a, a custody battle over Star Wars. But it's not like but J.J. Abrams had handed it to him, so it wasn't. Um, you know, there was nothing like this dynamic. And so this, this is such an interesting phenomenon with, uh, with the DC universe that there was kind of this sort of tug of war going on behind the scenes. Exactly. So let's go back to something you said a little bit ago, because, you know, Justice League was not the first of this reboot. There was Man of Steel, right? And then Batman versus Superman. So those were kind of the new, those were the first two in this sort of DC reboot. But it's interesting that we're even using the term reboot. Because in the early 2000s, we already had a Batman trilogy, the Dark Knight trilogy with Christopher Nolan. So, so why was there even a reboot from that? Because that wasn't that long ago. Well, after the Dark Knight trilogy concluded in 2012, 
uh, Warner Brothers was shopping around wondering, hey, we've had some great success with this uh, little bit more noble dark version of Batman, you know, a little bit more of a grounded approach that still respects the original source material. Can we do this with Superman? And so people forget, but Nolan himself helped with that project. And they started working with Zack Snyder, who had directed a, a Watchmen movie and a 300 and some other films that I, I frankly had not seen. I mean, I may check them out now, uh, but I mainly became a, a Snyder fan because of his DC work. So Nolan developed a lot of respect for Snyder, the respect for his innovation and his uh, sense of storytelling and visual style. And the, the feeling was mutual. Uh, Nolan is actually a producer on Man of Steel. Uh, but then obviously once they moved in the direction of realizing, okay, you know, this is not a, a Superman who exists in the same world as the Dark Knight trilogy because you know, Nolan then was done with directing those movies. He had his own ideas and Christian Bale was done playing Batman. So when it came time to creating a sequel for Man of Steel, they already had some Easter eggs in the story world of Man of Steel. Uh, you saw Wayne Industries logo every once in a while, and you, you could tell that, uh, hey, Batman's out there somewhere. So then they decided, okay, what happens next? Who's, who's Superman going to fight in the next film? And I think it was actually a quote from Snyder where he said, well, once someone said, hey, what about Batman? That there was no going back. Because actually a Batman versus Superman film had been uh, kind of a Hollywood jo joke for a while just because it had always been an idea passed around. And there's actually a spoof poster for that movie i think in the will smith uh, movie i am, I am legend. legend yes yeah, yeah. Uh, the logo actually wasn't too far off from what ended up <laughs> happening so uh, for the, by the way i think that that part is is part of the reason why some critics were primed to mock uh, the film when wow. it came out uh, not just because it operated in a way that uh, was confusing for a lot of fans and critics uh, but because everybody was laughing haha ha, ben affleck is gonna play batman har 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 and then also Yes, this this is already a, a joke, a, a joke idea or sort of a tongue in cheek reference to like the ultimate blockbuster in Hollywood that you know, we all know is just a just kind of a fan service movie. And we shouldn't take it too seriously. Yeah. So my history with this whole new reboot is kind of along those same lines. Like I was one of the people that giggled whenever I thought of Ben Affleck as Batman I'm a diehard Chris Nolan fan. I love pretty much every one of his movies. Oh, same here. And I love the Dark Knight trilogy. I I watched that so many times. And there's a lot of reasons for that that I won't go into. But, you know, you finally convinced me to watch Batman vs. Superman a few years ago. I was there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but actually, let me go back to the, the previous movie, The Man of Steel. So that was the one that, that started off this whole new whatever we call this DC version two or something. We call it the worlds of DC, I think is the official label now. And, and the, the intent there also is to allow for maybe some either branching realities or just an understanding that, for example, the recent uh, Joker focused film that came out in fall 2019 is not part of this universe. Uh, neither will be the upcoming uh, bat films or, or uh, film, oh, the wow. Batman from director Matt Reeves. It's been postponed, by the way, because of the coronavirus starring uh, Robert Pattinson as Batman, not Ben Affleck. Uh, that'll come out sometime next year in theaters. But whatever happens with the uh, Justice League now uh, will actually be on the on the streaming service instead. So, yeah, it's 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 spreading out. But anyway, to, to your question about Man of Steel. Yeah, so I loved Man of Steel. I, I've I've watched and rewatched that so many times. Oh, so good. I, I love this idea of. So, first of all, General Zod is probably my favorite 
comic book movie villain out of all comic book movies I've seen. I think I've quoted him actually in the podcast. Whenever I say heresy, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm, I'm quoting uh, Michael Shannon as General Zod. <laughs> yeah. So he he's like one of the most believable villains to me because he has a good goal. He wants to preserve the people of Krypton and he wants to preserve their way of life because their planet was blowing up. But of course, he goes about it the wrong way by trying to terraform our planet and kill everyone. So that that's sort of bad, but <laughs> you can at least understand where he's coming from, that he's trying to preserve a good thing, but he's going about it the wrong way. And I actually think that's the reason I love that, Stephen, is because I feel like so often with villains in movies, you get this really fake version of what sin is. And General Zod, I think, was the true embodiment of how sin really starts. It, it starts with a good idea that you're going about a wrong way. Exactly. Exactly. But um, so when you got me to watch Batman vs. Superman over your house, I I still remember that. Op- I think it's the opening scene where Batfleck, Ben, ben Affleck is Batman. Uh, but actually in that scene, he's, he's just Bruce Wayne. He's running towards all the destruction caused by Superman's fight with Zod. And that reminded me of all those images we saw of firefighters running towards the Twin Towers. Oh, it's clearly, clearly a takeoff from that. And yeah. 2016, after 2001, 15 years later, uh, it's probably safe to start exploring some of those ideas, some of those fears, and even some of those images. And, and what's so interesting about that is Christopher Nolan's uh, Dark Knight series, especially with Batman Begins, because that was very, very close to 9-11, that had so many themes in it that echoed the War of Terror, you know, the debate about mass surveillance. Particularly in The Dark um, Knight, yes, exactly. This is wrong. Yeah, and especially Joker, you know, some men just want to watch the world burn. You know, before 9-11, we didn't really have that much of a concept of that. We had, I mean, we had terrorist movies and stuff in the 90s or the 80s. But it was always like a terrorist that wanted something. But Joker was so different in that what he wanted was just death. And so that opening scene in Batman vs. Superman was kind of an interesting nod to the Nolan films, which were a reflection of 9-11. So I liked Batman vs. Superman a lot more than I thought I would. It's just such an interesting... I mean, when I saw that mock-up in I Am Legend, I'm like, what? Batman and Superman are going to fight? What is that about? Is one of this them has happened frequently in something? the comic books. Yeah. Yeah. Well, particularly in Frank Miller's famous, uh, 19, I believe, 1980s graphic novel, The Dark Knight Returns. There, there's a really famous Batman versus Superman fight at the end of that. This fight is not that, and I'm not even sure that that's the first time that they fought in any kind of contemporary story over their clashing values, really. Because in that story, it's like a, a future version of Bruce Wayne uh, who is uh, picking back up the, the bat mantle. And Superman is uh, representing the man, the institution, the government, you know, law and order. Batman is more of a resistance fighter type there. I'm sure that I'm messing up uh, how Dark Knight uh, Returns fans would interpret that particular uh, exchange. But. No, Batman and Superman have definitely fought before. They have been frenemies or just outright enemies, either because one or the other of them was brainwashed or just because they have a conflict. And I was primed for that understanding that good heroes could fight just because that had happened before in the animated series, in the Justice League animated series. So that wasn't a surprise to me. What was a surprise to me was how in-depth the story portrayed their differences and how much they risked 
having Bruce Wayne as Batman drift increasingly toward the dark side of that side of inhumanity of believing that Superman as this alien, this icon who, if he wanted to, could burn the whole place down would inevitably do so. And that therefore Bruce Wayne had to take him out. And just that projection of someone's trauma over top of a misunderstood hero who's trying to do good. Uh, I resonated with that so much, but even more so did I resonate with the story of Superman in that film, who is trying to do the right thing, who isn't as seemingly perfect as a Superman who would have been raised in the 50s by Kansas farmers, because this version was probably raised in the 80s and 90s by Kansas farmers who weren't the greatest generation type farmers, but were boomer farmers. And therefore, we're perhaps one degree or one generation separated from those values. So you're going to get more of a reflection of those truth, justice, American way values. But this version of Superman, I know a lot of fans don't see it, but I love him. I, I love Christopher Reeve, too. And I love other actors who've portrayed Superman. But this version universalizes that template of, of the hero as more of the immigrant, the outsider who has these mm -hmm. special powers. And therefore, if you're watching closely and you're willing to interpret it according to the creator's intentions, I think anybody who's ever felt that way can identify more with his struggle to pursue nobility and to help others and to be a force and a symbol for good in the world. But the critical difference is the world is not the rather happy, bit campy world of the 1970s films with Christopher mm. Reeve. This is a world right. much more like our own. You will see Superman saving a ship in the Arctic wasteland. And the next moment you'll see the TV news anchors debating over whether or not he should even be allowed to do that. Who will politicize every single thing he does <laughs> at that moment in 2016. I'm completely tracking with that. And a lot of fans were not, yeah, but it's a, a better reflection. Were. It is. And it, you mentioned the dark Knight, and, and Batman begins wrestling with issues of terrorism and villainy. And in particular, the ending of the dark Knight, which dares to ask, Hey, is it okay to do a massive surveillance program in order to stop a terrorist? Man of Steel was more about that struggle of immigration and belonging and heroism and, and how different people should get along. And Batman v Superman, probably ahead of its time, was daring to ask, what about this villain, Lex Luthor, who isn't just a you know, business tycoon character, Captain Sludge, you know, type character, <laughs> as you mentioned from the Captain Planet series in our ecologism episode. Uh, no, this is a uh, this is a millennial new tech type entrepreneur and his he's a tech bro. He is a tech bro <laughs> and his power is in information and the control of information and his own self-absorption and his own obsession with his own cleverness. Oh, and oh, by the way, quite a believable, I felt, daddy complex, which he therefore translates into a direct statement of the theodicy problem, which is if God is all powerful, then he cannot be all good. Like he literally states that. I, I know that was really motive. surprising. I'm sitting there even in the theatrical edition of Batman v Superman, and I'm getting chills because I'm thinking, I can't believe they went here. <laughs> and then afterwards, I hear from people who didn't like it, who say Lex Luthor had no motivation. And I'm thinking, I don't want to be that guy who is elitist about a movie called Batman v Superman. <laughs> it's still a superhero smash them up. And yet it also insisted on 
exploring these themes boldly and directly. And that just hit me right in the sweet spot. I'm primed to love these movies. And that's why I'm so passionate mm. about release the Snyder cut and the fact that, yeah, spoiler alert, we won. <laughs> so much to cover here that I, I want to, uh, we're going to get to, but I, I want to comment on a couple of things first. The Man of Steel movie, what was so surprising to me about that was this was the first Superman movie, really, that had a hero's journey in it. The other ones that came before, um, including the, um, uh, what was the one, the Brand, Brandon Routh? Brandon Routh, yeah. Said, Superman Returns, yeah. 2006. That was, I liked that, that one. Yeah, yeah. I, I still like that one. And I was so happy that he came back to play uh, kind of a, a further future version of that timeline uh in the recent cw uh, crossover series mm-hmm. i really liked his version and i couldn't i couldn't understand that fans didn't appreciate it as much or at least it didn't earn as much money as they thought it should in mm-hmm. 2006 especially after uh, batman begins and and so it ended up not going anywhere uh, i'm i'm a yeah. little bit easy to please here brother i i i'm <laughs> sure there's some versions of superman i'm not too thrilled about and i, I can't stand Superman three or Superman four, but, but nobody can, uh, back in Christopher <laughs> Reeve days. So my, my Christopher Reeve obsession isn't up to where other super fans is like, I, I see the flaws folks. And I also see the need to translate, not reboot, not reinvent, certainly not ruin the character of Superman, but he needs to be translated into successive generations. And, and then that means that his character and his nobility needs to reflect the flaws of those generations as well. So I'm going I'm to get real personal here, real deep. When I was a kid, I, I was totally in love with the Christopher Reeve Superman. And I watched that so many times. And what, I, I don't remember this, but what my mom always tells me about is, I don't know if it was with Superman 2 or 3, I don't, I don't remember which one, but I actually went to the theater as a kid with the like Superman underwear on the outside of my pants and like a cape and everything and like the fake glasses and so I, I totally did cosplay as a kid for the original Superman series. Pixar, it didn't happen. <laughs> no, no way you're seeing Find those Find it. Show notes. <laughs> Show notes. Um, but, you know, there, there's there been such a change between that Superman and then the, the Michael Keaton Batman movies with, with the Superman and Batman we have now. And I think the you know, like you, like you said, the culture has changed. And so the environment that, Superman would have grown up in or Batman would have grown up in is very different. But I think there's also this really big push to make movies realistic, you know, scare quotes, realistic. And it's not just about grim, dark or gritty or noble dark. It's like, we want, we want to see things that are realistic. Like what if Superman actually came here today? I think these movies are actually reflecting that. And I wonder if, if we don't like how it reflects us. Okay. I think that that's a big, big reason if people are even willing to engage with that idea, because it is almost insulting to the viewer. If, if the viewer is part of that zeitgeist of possibly trend chasing, uh, want to be on the right side of history for whatever issue, TV news, venerating <laughs> punditry class, uh, the, the film itself rather boldly called those things into question while not being partisan, you know, like there's a whole, uh, montage in Batman V Superman. I think it was even in the theatrical version, which cut out a half an hour, mostly from Clark Kent's journey. And you're watching these news anchors playing themselves in some cases, 
Like uh, right. Charlie Rose is in there and, uh, and even Neil deGrasse Tyson is in there talking about Superman is if he's real, you know, that they're playing themselves, the versions of them in this fictional DC metaverse. And they're asking about Superman and the idea, not just the fact that he's real in their context, but the idea of Superman, what he represents to people, why the world is having such a hard time. And the interpretive guide there is a one, one person says, you know, perhaps he's not just a Jesus character, but what if he's just a man trying to do the right thing, which I've used before in, in, uh, friendly debates with Christian fans who want Superman to be a straight up Christ figure. And I say, no, no, this, despite all the messianic imagery in the movies, like this shows that he's, he's more likely being viewed here as a Christian figure, which is a big idea in, in the development of my thought is that I think the better stories aren't just aiming for Christ figures but will actually show Christian figures. It's Christians a, that are Christ, struggling. Yeah, it's yeah. a Christ figure figure. That gives me permission to view Superman as a true hero, but be perfectly understanding when he fails, when he fails to see something or when he struggles, when he's in the middle of a disaster and he can't save everyone. And then he has to fly away and be alone for a while. Kind of like Christ though, actually. <laughs> not because he couldn't save anyone. Christ is not mm -hmm. upset uh, as much as we would be, but Superman is, and he has to go off and think about a conversation with his dad or a space dad or, you know, and, and I, and lots of other fans feel drawn alongside him in that moment. Yeah. So let me tell you another thing, uh, in just my instant analysis of why I think a lot of people didn't like Batman versus Superman. It's just because of the whole idea of two superheroes fighting, which brings to mind the idea of, I'm going to have to choose one. You know, there's that meme that goes around Facebook, like you have to choose one or you have to like get rid of one or whatever. Yeah. I'm team Iron and, Man or I'm team Cap and Captain America. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, here's why I think we don't like that. Who do you choose? John MacArthur or Beth Moore? Yeah. See, I don't. Who, who do you choose? John Piper or Rob Bell? Remember, remember all these kind of fights? Well, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll choose Piper over Bell uh, in that case. But even though I'm a doctrinally orthodox person I, I love biblical doctrine and i love imagination and all that like i, I don't want to choose between right. two folks who are trying to do the right thing right but who have different backgrounds and experiences and therefore uh emphases on their audiences and then fears and yes all of that yeah i don't yeah i don't like those kinds of battles that's it, true i see what you mean it's just so e it's so much easier when it's you know billy graham versus the uh i don't know the priest of satanism or something but when it's these two figures that you like, you, you don't want to see them fight and it just makes you uncomfortable. And so I, I think that's why we have a hard time with these movies, right. but that fed into it fast, for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's, so I, I think what happened with this series is that movie, it, it just rubbed people the wrong way for all these reasons we've talked about. So then we get to justice league. <laughs> and so people have already got this sort of baggage going on. And, right. and I saw the same thing with star Wars episode eight was just so divisive that what did we have after that? We had solo, which, Oh, this is supposed to be a big movie that everyone's going to love. And, and no one went and saw it. And, and that was actually really good. I saw movie. it at home. It's, I liked it. Yes. But, but a similar thing happened with solo actually, because it was originally Phil Lord and Chris Miller of the Lego movie were directing solo right. and they nearly finished. And then they were <laughs> let go because they were, uh, right. they were at, they were doing, uh, <laughs> they were being a little too flexible with the script, I think, and going a bit, um, off, uh, <laughs> off the plan. And, and then they got uh, Ron Howard to finish it. And I, I liked Solo, uh, even though it wasn't the original version, which probably will never, ever see the light of day now. Yeah. So we, you know, you have all these complicating factors that 
everyone brings in with them when they see Justice League. So then that happened, that comes out, was it three years ago, really? Two and a half. It's Two November half. Okay. 17, 2017. Yes. I was so then release there. the Snyder Cut gets going. Oh, yes. And so we were recording this on May 23rd. So three days ago, Stephen, what happened? Well, that was Wednesday, May 20th. And a couple of days actually before then, rumors started flying, very reliable rumors, that we were going to get our wish. The fandom who had started this crazy hashtag and dared to believe that the film, as originally shot and intended, did exist in some form, which itself was pretty controversial for a while. Others who were uh, film critics or fans who were you know, g- getting uh, information from the studio would keep saying the one phrase, oh, that's a pipe dream. That's a pipe dream. Warner Brothers will never work with Zack Snyder again. Uh, too many bridges have been burned. Like That's all in the past. It's inevitable. We're just going to keep moving on. We're going to get other movies. Like There's no more Snyder. And some of them were, oddly enough, a bit snide about this. Nevertheless, <laughs> fans persisted. Some of them got pretty toxic about it, that's for sure, as any fan movement will have. But altogether, fans wanted to be positive. They wanted to organize and do it out of love, not just for the story, not just love for Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, or the Justice League, but out of what seemed to be a sincere love for the creators, especially the Snyders, who had undergone such a family tragedy and had tried to behave in a very gracious manner and probably also under a mountain of non-disclosure agreements. (laughs) nonetheless on may the 20th snyder actually both snyders really i I keep saying zach snyder but it's got to be zach and deborah snyder because they're they're a team here they did a watch party for man of steel over zoom and uh they went through the whole movie and turned it down everybody synced up and they'd done this last month for batman v superman actually and then at the end of the watch party Everybody was expecting this. Everybody was expecting he's got to do an announcement because Batman v Superman's watch party was on the anniversary of the film, the four-year anniversary. Like, why is the Man of Steel watch party weeks before the seven-year anniversary for Man of Steel? What's going on with that? And I'll tell you, Zach, I should have texted my wife that morning before I got started because I felt this prediction. <laughs> I, I'm not a prophet. I'm not even foreseen this. I know it's, I'm not a, <laughs> neither the son of a prophet, but I thought I bet they bring Henry Cavill on there because Henry Cavill who played Superman has been pretty quiet lately because he wants to play Superman. It's obvious. He loves the character, but definitely liked man of steel better than Batman V Superman. He, I don't know if it's just not wanting to share the spotlight with other heroes or he wanted Superman centric stories, which makes perfect sense when you're an actor of his talent and dedication. And he's also a legit nerd, despite being such a jock in appearance. You know, he's a very quiet sort of nerdy guy, which is super cool. Pun unintended. Anyway, I wish I had that uh, prediction on the record, because then what do you know? They're wrapping up the film. And then what to my wondering eyes should appear on the Zoom cast, but Henry Cavill. Uh, so he's there uh, looking, looking super, but in quarantine. Oddly enough, he had the mustache. Everybody knows it's another big joke. The infamous mustache that Henry Cavill had for the new version of Justice League that was filmed. He couldn't shave it off because he had to keep it for a Mission Impossible movie. So they just papered over it with really bad CGI and it stood out. And it also gave a gave an easy way to tell what was the new version of the movie versus the version that had already been shot. 
So Cavill is on there and then they bring in a bunch of fans. They have a Q&A. And as you heard, uh, Snyder, Zack Snyder plays a little coy and he says, well, I don't know. I don't really own it. And it's not up to me, blah, blah, blah. You know, I, I messaged my family after that and said, he's acting like, you know, my parents on Christmas morning when they don't know if Santa's actually been here. <laughs> and instead, uh, Henry Cavill then just says, I reckon you should just show it. And Santa goes, well, I can't show it now, but here's what I got. And he, he shows that it's uh, going to, you know, he basically makes all the fan theory come true is that, okay, we're not going to get the movie in theaters, but he's going to make it bigger and even better for the HBO max streaming service. So they have the poster and then within hours it hits all of the geek blogs. The Hollywood reporter had a story about it and all of the official social media, all of the DC Twitter and Facebook and Instagram accounts are blowing it up. They're using the hashtag. And then in the next few days, we even get rumors about Henry Cavill is going to play Superman again, either in other films, like in an upcoming movie, in an upcoming movie. Uh, th there were rumors a while ago that uh, Henry Cavill and uh, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, who is going to play an anti-hero named Black Adam, were going to have a fight in a future movie. Oh, like, they're they're, they're apparently that. good friends or they have the same agent or something. Yes, that would be awesome. So that may happen. I am so down for one or more Superman movies for sure, starring Henry Cavill. Uh, standalone trilogy let's go and then even some rumors about you know maybe ben affleck could do more than you know whatever he will do for the the souped up unintended version of justice league which might go to four hours or past it with more character moments for the streaming service and then there's also rumors flying hey what about uh, the the uh, similar mutilation of a, a movie called suicide squad about all the villains that came out the summer before justice league and wasn't that good? Actually, no, it was, came out two summers before Justice League, and I, I didn't like the theatrical version. I, I thought it was yeah, it just, I don't think I would. I still haven't seen it. Yeah, I, a lot of fans liked it, but I think more for the potential. Uh, they're keeping the characters. It's still in continuity, but there's references now on, on Twitter, teases and such, where we possibly get a director's cut of that as well. So that'll all be sometime, uh, Justice League will be sometime in 2021. So Okay. We have to get over the pandemic. You have to start opening up the, uh, the studios again. Uh, but the visual effects houses, and we'll link this in the show notes, the Hollywood reporter story, the visual effects houses are running out of work because <laughs> right. all of the, uh, all the studios are shut down, but the footage exists for this. And even though they're going to do new footage, new fan service moments in the best possible oh. way, I hope. Oh yes. Oh yes. Oh, so they're going to film more. It's they not just like, Hey, film more. Oh, absolutely okay. no they, so this is not just like a dvd they're no release. no and and okay. by the way let's again reinforce the fact because a lot of skeptics or just plain haters will say oh the theatrical version was terrible and you think a few extra scenes papered over that are going to help like no this is a completely different movie so it's not just like the you know like the extended version of no. lord of the rings or something no batman's not going to put on his silly grin the flash is not going to joke about brunch I mean, listen to me with all these <laughs> details. You can tell I've been enmeshed in this stuff for a while, and it's going to look crazy to some people. We'll get into that later when we're talking about the applications for Christian fans. But this is, uh, th th this is one of my favorite fandoms right now, and it has been such a joy to participate in it and to get these details. And it's just a little bit of a sense of God-given joy to actually see it being legitimized. And all of our wishes coming true, not just, okay, here's the leftovers with some 
temporary effects, you know, put on a DVD release, like they're going above and beyond. And now everyone's starting to wonder, okay, let's, can you actually finish the trilogy now? Because unlike the Star Wars movies, which uh, was sort of a, 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 a relay race from J.J. Abrams, who had some ideas but didn't write or influence The Last Jedi, and then it was going to go to another director who was just writing the story piecemeal, which mm. wouldn't lead to a lot of thematic development, you know. And, and even though I think, what is it, Zach, the original Star Wars Episode Four, like that was written standalone, but weren't the next two films then right. kind of written together? Uh, I, I believe so. Either way, I think they were shot together. Yeah, well, either well, well, no, I don't think they were shot together. Don't quote me on that. But either way, it was the same creative process. It was still George Lucas not directing all of them, but he was still writing the stories. Right. So even if he wrote them piecemeal and wasn't specifically thinking, okay, I got to put this in episode uh, or got to put this in the first Star Wars movie because then it's going to pay off in Return of the Jedi. Like, he wasn't thinking that. But if it was the, still the same person, then it's going to have the same creative DNA. That was closer to what the Snyders were doing with this series. So it's not like Star Wars. You know, they, they had planted ideas early and we're going to try to pay them off. We don't even know exactly how, but he said enough to make me realize, okay, like this guy in Batman v Superman, he was actually this amazing hero the whole time. And now I know that that reveal is coming, but it would have blown fans' minds if they had kept it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that so that really helps to understand it's like an entirely different story it's not just like a few extra scenes on the story we already yeah, know I mean, some beats will be familiar but yes sure. yeah it, it is definitely an entirely different story so here's my question which one is going to be canon as we go forward with the dc universe? obviously the original snyder version is okay. going to be canon I, I can't think of a parallel example uh where you just decanonize a a a, a spinoff version of the story. I think that the Snyder's version will be canon, but that doesn't mean the other stories. Wait, wait, you're, you're saying this, you're saying the Snyder cut is going to be canon. Yes. Going forward. No, absolutely. It has to be. And that, okay. That blows me away. I, I don't think we've ever seen anything like this happen before no, it, with any fandom. It, it, it is very different, but it's also huh. the, the, the lack of precedent was also being surpassed because the studio was known for being a director focused studio. They were known for giving the directors a lot of lead like Christopher Nolan to do crazy things. Right. Like, even with established characters like Batman and a lot of people now, if they were nitpicky looking back on the dark Knight trilogy, you could say, well, he would have never done that. He would have never hung up the Cape for seven years, you know, but some of those ideas are you know, familiar, you know, kind of cold from the, from the comics or graphic novels. But with what happened with Snyder, some people at the studio and there's a lot of controversy here and a lot of bad blood and then fans get a hold of it and they make it worse sometimes. But some people at the studio, because Marvel was such a success, some people wanted to copy Marvel and Snyder's did not want to copy Marvel. Right. They wanted to make amazing stories, but do their own thing and take some bold and controversial choices. But you can't change horses midstream while making the movie. And yet that's exactly what happened where they kind of moved in once Snyder was out and took over. And he still has a director credit on the theatrical version of Justice League because the rules say you have to unless he rejects it. But uh, it's, it's not really his movie. And so, therefore, it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, spinoff. Maybe it is with the precedent because you could say that it's more like um, Star Wars extended or Star Wars expanded universe books, you know, which now are not canon. They're more of a what if. 
especially if they're set after right. Return of the Jedi. Le- Star Wars Star Legends. Star Wars Legends, yes. Yeah. Of course, fans don't like that much either, but it's no, not like either. they're going out and burning all the copies of those books. Those books are still there. Mm-hmm. If we have wild imaginations, we should be conditioned to accept the idea of different dimensions and there are different, uh, even different manifestations of the same hero. Well, NASA scientists just proved this, Stephen. With, oh, uh, yeah. These particles sure. in Antarctica that prove a parallel universe. Right. That's what all the uh, Daily yeah. Star headlines say. Anyway. I don't uh, <laughs> put a lot of uh, stock into that. No. We'll link that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you want to really Quite geek out. Possibly. Well, another thing maybe to link in the show notes is uh, the, remember I mentioned earlier that CW crossover. Uh, I didn't actually see the whole thing, uh, the superhero, the DC superhero shows on the CW. But there was a fan service, an awesome fan service moment where movie The Flash met TV The Flash. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Barry Allen from Justice League, uh, somehow a dimension shifted into that world and had a nerd out moment with uh, uh, Barry Allen. So movie Barry Allen is played by Ezra Miller. TV Barry Allen is played by uh, Grant Gustin. And like they were, they were admiring each other's suits and like, hey, that's cool, bro. Like, wow, are you the Flash? Like, I'm the Flash. You know, it was a, it was a fun moment. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, my favorite moment was when Ezra Miller's Flash says, oh, are you cosplaying, man? Do you want a selfie, bro? <laughs> it's just great. So <laughs> it was a little shout out to kind of give fans hope. And by then, what was this back in? Earlier this year, I think, maybe around Christmas time. Yeah, by then, the negotiations were already underway for the Snyder Cut. So looking back, it's fun to see all of these, uh, all these little signposts uh, from Snyder himself and even from other DC shows uh, that, were, that were hinting at this inevitable, inevitable victory. By the way, my wife loves the TV version of The Flash. Oh, I and, do too. It's, um, it's still my favorite. I'm a little behind, but I, I, need, yeah. to, I need to catch up to The Flash. <laughs> I think I've disappointed her because I've I've stopped watching it. But uh, she she's she got way ahead of me, and she just didn't want to wait for me. She really likes that show. I I need to go back and watch that with her. Well, let's move on to what Christian fans can learn from this. So we've kind of got three quick areas to cover. So first of all, Stephen, what did you learn from this? Like, what what are some truths you took away from this whole release of Snyder Cut movement? Yeah, I've got at least I've got at least three of those that can be broadened out, you know, like if you've listened this far and you're not as much of a DC fan as, as, as me, if you're you know, more like Zach or even, even less or so, just thank you. And part of that for me is the, my lesson has been humility. Uh, the first couple of days when I'm just geeking about, out about this and won't stop talking about it and uh, even getting distracted, like, and I'm a, I'm a grown man, folks, you know, and I'm feeling like I'm, I'm eight years old and it's Christmas and I can't stop obsessing over that new bicycle or something. Uh, just the uh, understanding and happiness of my friends uh, who are either on my side and or pulling for this as much as I was. But even those who are not, you know, who think maybe deep down oh, Snyder ruined the DC movies or just don't care. Like, oh, superhero movies. There he goes again. Like the fact that people will be willing to tease and at least to ignore <laughs> some of my enthusiasm is a great grace. And I thank you for that. Any of my friends who are like that, uh, who are willing to rejoice with me and other DC fans about something that isn't even their fandom. And that is something that the church ought to do. I mean, if we're talking about people who have different spiritual gifts, maybe different interests, uh, for fiction fans who are Christians, you know, maybe they just discovered the Lord of the Rings and they cannot stop talking about runes and elvish and dwarves and all of that. You know, grownups, if your kids are into that, please 
seek to understand their fandom, ask questions, don't roll your eyes, don't you dare let them see you roll your eyes. If it's uh, not a sinful fandom is tempting your child or your friend to sin, then this is a great opportunity to understand that person, to ask, why do you like that so much? Why in the world do you like Batman v Superman? Uh, isn't that a dark story? Aren't they just trying to ruin Superman and show that no one's a hero? That's what I heard. Why would heroes fight? Snyder's all about images and not about good heroic stuff. All myths. I've gone over those multiple times. Another thing I've learned is just how to try to be gracious to trolls because a lot of people have strong attachment to other versions of these heroes and you know, for personal reasons or creative differences or whatever, they cannot stand the idea of them being taken in the direction of these stories. I'm primed to be willing to follow the interpretation like this, especially if I do my research and want to enjoy it, want to appreciate where they're going. Others, not so much. And that's okay. Just don't say it's a bad movie. It's objectively bad. All the cool people say it's bad. We'll talk about that in a moment. I'll try to keep this short. I've also just learned more to respect the humanity of the film creators, including you know maybe other, other creators who uh, I disagree with. Because so much of this has gone on on Twitter, uh, which does have, for better and worse, a very leveling effect, where you've got people from the president of the United States to the guy at your office, you know, who may share the same rhetorical flair, but in the good sense, too. I've gotten to exchange messages with even uh, a couple people who've worked with Snyder. Uh, there's a storyboard artist who's actually directed some DC animated movies named uh, Jay Oliva. Uh, I made a stray remark about how uh, anime couldn't be American. And he said to me, oh, yeah, well, what about this one? And they go, yes, sir, Mr. Animation Expert, sir. <laughs> I repent. I shouldn't have said that. And, and he's a good guy. You know, he's not there just to troll you, although he will, uh, he will lose it sometimes with fans who act like they know what they're talking about and they don't. Occasionally, I'll get a like or a retweet from a famous person. Um, I got to uh, exchange messages with actually the guy who invented the release the Snyder Cut hashtag shout out to at movie buff 100. I got to got to have a brief correspondence. Yeah, it is. It's, it's just amazing. Yeah. And, and uh, that to me, it's not it's not about being a groupie to me. Uh, it's about everyone is created in God's image. God has given different people these amazing gifts. And if you've got, you know, Henry Cavill, who plays Superman, A-list movie star, Mission Impossible, The Witcher, Man of Steel, Man of Steel 2. Zack Snyder's Justice League and don't know what else he's going to be in. They're on there with fans and the fans are, are, are starstruck. And yet just his humble demeanor. I mean, he's stuck at home like the rest of us. <laughs> we really are all in this together. Decreasingly. So as the, the pandemic uh, seems to be wrapping up anyway, I exchanged a, a like with David French, who's like kind of this famous uh, conservative columnist who also tweeted the hashtag. There's a zeal here. And I find that when it's, uh, when it's motivated by joy, I find that very contagious. And maybe you can hear it a little bit in my voice now. This is the best side of fandom. This is the common grace side of any good, uh, uh, any, any fandom. There's a lot of toxicity, of course. Some people get very angry on both sides. But uh, I would actually quote from Joss Whedon's underappreciated movie, Avengers Age of Ultron. Uh, where at the end, Vision is talking to the last Ultron robot. He's saying that humans are odd, but there is grace in their failings. And I love that quote. And 
I would want to pass it back to even the people who decided that we ought to have a, a shallow theatrical version of Justice League. Like, hey, there was still grace in your failings. Like, this is still an alternative take. We won decisively <laughs> in favor of the <laughs> Snyder approach, but good try. No, really, good try. And that movie will always be there for people who want to see Batman grin a silly grin. You know, a couple of things I take away from that. So first of all, my, my big fandom is The Expanse. So I've read all the books. I've watched all the shows. And I was there in the middle of Save the Expanse because it had been released on the sci-fi oh, channel. So right. to kind of yes. reboot the sci-fi channel to be more sci-fi not, and less Sharknado, <laughs> which how did that ever become a debate? But after two years, the sci-fi channel just said, look, this isn't profitable for us because they actually had given up the streaming rights to Amazon because way back then people thought, who's going to watch a TV show on their computer? And uh, boy, they were wrong. Yeah, they kind of lost that gamble there. That, so that's they, how I've you know, seen some episodes. I think the first season of The Expanse, at least, I've, yeah. I've seen on Amazon Prime. Yeah, and so th this is a, about to be a nine-book series. It's eight books that are out right now, plus novellas. And so they had only done two seasons. And they canceled it, and there was this huge fan outcry. People even rented an airplane with a banner that said, hashtag save the expanse, and they flew it over Amazon headquarters. Well, this is what Snyder Cut fans did, too. They flew it yeah. over Warner Brothers headquarters. <laughs> and more recently, someone, possibly the Snyders themselves, rented a plane and flew the banner over saying, thank you, HBO Max and WB. So oh, apparently cool. planes with banners is the approach. Uh, if you want to save the canceled show <laughs> or the canceled film franchise. Yeah. But, you know, I like what you said about get to know the fandoms of your friends and family members. We have this really good friend named Nona. And one of our pieces of advice on parenting to my wife and, and me was play Super Mario Brothers. And we're like, what? And she's and, I, and to me, that was funny because I grew up playing Super Mario Brothers. But my wife never played video games growing up. And so my wife really latched onto this. And she's like, tell me more about that. What do you mean, Nona? And Nona said, well, I've had so many conversations with my boys all growing up just by playing stupid Super Mario Brothers with them. And she's like, I didn't care for those games, but they love those games. So I just sat there with them for hours and played with them. And we had lots of conversations about lots of things. Oh, that's wonderful. And so I, I really like your point there, Stephen, about when you get to know a person's fandom you get to know a person and you, you can approach it like a learner like you know i'm kind of a i'm kind of a learner and explorer in this whole dc world so i don't know as much as you but it's fun to get to know this because then i get to know you better a while back you mentioned kind of inevitability so th this is my next point what, what can christian fans learn about this whole debate about inevitability like just give up it's over it's inevitable it's not going to happen like what what was your kind of big takeaway from that right it, that was something that the fandom had to overcome, and we had to be willing to look a little crazy. In fact, we had to be willing to look a lot crazy. We'll talk about the crazy look in just a moment. But here I would emphasize uh, the, that charge from a lot of film bloggers and critics and fans on the opposite side, who after Snyder was let go or whatever happened in the spring of 2017, and then Justice League came out. There were no more Justice League movies in the works. Uh, Snyder had gone dark. I mean, his family at that point were recovering from profound grief after the loss of, uh, of their daughter, uh, Autumn uh, Snyder. They withdrew and people didn't hear from them. And in the meantime, you know, Snyder's enemies or those who disagreed with him creatively would come out and say, guys, stop 
The Snyder Cut is a pipe dream. Y'all being silly. You're looking so, so silly. You're off trend. You're on the wrong side of history. You're wearing white after Labor Day. All of the, all the cliches by those who, at least based on what they say, seem to be acting more as if they want to follow after the trend. Follow after the trend. And they would say it's inevitable. You still get Wonder Woman movies. We've got uh, Shazam. Uh, we've got Aquaman. Like, that's okay. Stop pining after something that will never be the pipe dream of the extended Snyder directed Justice League. Just stop. Oh, it's so uncouth. Uh, a lot of paraphrasing there, but that, that, is, that is what a lot of fans uh, were confronted with, uh, especially in the ever toxic environment of social media. And some fans lost it because. Like they, they don't like being made fun of. Uh, they, don't, they don't like a feeling that people are turning their noses up at them. And yet, uh, I love the finale uh, for Avengers Endgame, another very good, long, epic superhero movie, when Thanos repeats his now iconic boast, I am inevitable. He's just so calm and arrogant about it. Just, I'm going to win. There's nothing you can do. But as we know, real heroes don't care. That boast may stop them for a moment, but like Captain America with a broken shield or broken body will get up and keep fighting anyway as the sunlight streams through the smoke. And I broaden that out beyond the world of fantasy or superhero stories because our world is full of these inevitability boasts. Even if you're talking about the culture wars, or uh, those who have uh, competing religions uh, that are opposed to Christianity, they will constantly attempt this bluff. We're on the right side of history, where we are inevitable. This is the future. Why are you stuck in the past? Some of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes are where he exposes that type of thinking, that, that boasting, that assumption that we are the future and you are the past, as if the inevitable future will be morally correct. And that's about bigger issues than fandom or movie franchises, but I apply the lessons of this victory to those as well. Uh, people were insisting that the Snyder Cut fans were off trend and uncouth and they were gross. And, and yet that, that just rankles me when people just assume that. There is a kind of arrogance there, but also I think a pitiable arrogance. And I think Christians need to learn from that and react with pity. Like, I'm, I'm really sorry that you feel like trends are the most important thing. Why would you fall after a trend just because you feel it's trending? Like, look at what types of clickbait headlines work and then just write those kinds of headlines regardless of whether you deceive the reader. Uh, even something like that is just such pragmatism. And, and as a Christian, uh, hopefully a biblical Christian, and even as a, as, even as a homeschooled Christian, uh, I'll just confess that here. I own it, though. I'm kind of maybe a little hypersensitive to people who really do seem to be chasing trends just to chase trends. I would prefer that we avoid or just ignore what's trendy. Not rebel against the trend, because sometimes people like something that's really, a lot of people like something that's really good. But like, I, I don't care if it's trendy. I care if, if some, a story or something like that brings me closer to biblical truth and brings me closer to biblical joy and therefore ultimately helps point me closer to Christ. Like that's the goal, being like Christ, chasing his joy and his gifts for the sake of him and his glory, 
not just because a lot of people like it or it's trending. So that's maybe my first three big lessons here. Yeah, you know, I grew up in Austin where it's trendy to hate what's trendy. <laughs> and, and I, I remember this one point in high school thinking, man, I don't know enough independent bands. It seems like I'm not cool because all I like is just whatever I hear on the radio. And what everyone else likes is just random musicians that no one's ever heard of that they found at a record store or something. But um, I, I can relate to that, you know, just feeling like you're not with whatever trend it is, What you know, what whatever whether the trend is an actual trend or an anti-trend. Um, I, I think that's just a trap to get caught up in that. And I, I, you know, the, the thing I hear from you, Stephen, is that it's okay to embrace the things you love. You know, the, that's fine. As long, as long as it's not a sinful thing, obviously exactly. we're not talking about, we're not talking about it if it's okay to follow your heart and just love whatever you love, whether it's right or wrong, according to the Bible, but we're talking about the, the neutral things or the, I guess the, I don't know, what, what's a better word, non-moral or morally neutral things, that it's okay to love those things. It's okay to be a fan of those things. So, you know, I, I think there's a lesson there for just Christians to accept the fact that they might look crazy and in and, and, and loving the Bible and being a fan of Jesus. You know, I, I still remember um, in high school, one of my really good friends said, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm not one of those Jesus kind of Christians. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and like, I, I was a really young Christian at the time. And I thought, well, shouldn't you be, if you're, if you're going to be a Christian, shouldn't you be excited about Jesus? Like, how can you be a Christian that's kind of milk toast or lukewarm about Jesus? Like, I didn't really understand that. I'm like, either you're in or you're out. You know, I, I don't really get this. Um, I don't know trying to be cool Christian kind of thing. Well, I amen. I, there's a, there's a side of the faith that, and then this overlaps with my, my next big lesson. There's a side of practicing biblical Christianity where you need to be comfortable with the fact that not only do you look crazy, but you are crazy. And I, I've been very happy to see that just in, in the, from the perspective of biblical doctrine and practice, several authors, you know, bloggers, pastors, uh, book writers, have come out with material that encourage this. They say, hey, let's just admit it. Folks, you follow a person that others believe is an imaginary friend based on the myth or the historical records, whichever, of a dead Jewish rabbi from 2,000 years ago based in the, uh, the historical records and mythology of the nation of Israel going back a few more thousand years than that. But why? you're nuts. You're nuts. And that was nuts. Yeah, you're a Jesus freak. Exactly. Well, that was the, the 90s version of that. Yes. Now, there can be uh, corny attempts to reclaim that and you know, make the crazy cool. Me, I'm, I'm just content to look a little crazy. It's okay. It's, it's all right. Most folks look a little crazy one way or another. But in response to that, you shouldn't go trying to chase after the trends where you try to make something seem less crazy just because more people accept it. Uh, Christians, particularly in America now, need to get used to the fact that if you're a biblical Christian, and particularly in resistance to a lot of the cultural or sexual uh, religious trends of the day, that you're a minority. You're belief-wise, at least, you're a minority, and that is okay. There's no special pride in that, but just get used to it. Just get used to it. And it will eventually, you'll be in the majority. Jesus will come back and make all things new, and the world will be full of his glory and only full of people who believe in and love him, but that's not yet. So don't expect it now. It's all right. I, I actually found a, a quote from C.S. Lewis about the, the, the fear of trends 
and uh, the idea of trying to read stuff uh, just because you think it's popular. Uh, it was actually in the Screw Tape letters he wrote about uh, this bad reason for liking books. In this case, Screw Tape is criticizing Wormwood. They're both demons, and Screw Tape's criticizing him. He says, "Quote and now for your blunders." On your own showing, you first of all allowed the patient to read a book he really enjoyed because he enjoyed it, and not in order to make clever remarks about it to his new friends. End quote. That's a big part of what we do. We, we're not just trying to make clever remarks about the books we review at Lorehaven, for example, or the stories of the authors we we're talking about on this podcast. There's a small fleeting joy in making clever remarks. Maybe I have a scathing takedown of a story we feel is not very good. It's fun to roast something, even out of affection. Like, I don't mind roasting the whole Martha, that our mothers have the same name moment from Batman v Superman. But that's actually meant to be a very serious and earnest moment. So I, I feel comfortable. <laughs> I'm glad you laughed at that. I, I, I just, don't. I couldn't I, it's that. more laughing at the people who are laughing at it to me, because when you're okay. in the moment and you're in the moment, you understand where they're going. It was a good one. Yeah, it, it was. It, but I understand, too, once you separate it from the context, it does sound pretty silly. But then again, so does the fact that people are flying around in, in tight super suits. I mean, the silliness can be silly, separated from that. It's going to look even crazier apart from the context. When you put it back in, though, or particularly if you research the fact that, uh, for example, the Snyders said, even in their live stream, about Superman's suit. Like, where does it come from? And why is it so tight? And they say, well, we actually did a lot of thinking about that in the world building, and we felt that this is something that every Kryptonian wears and underneath their battle armor or more formal wear. And you know, there's a version that's more for a uh, casual, and then there's a version that has a cape on it for more formal occasions. And then this here, you know, even though they'd ordinarily just wear a black suit, uh, we felt that uh, Jor-El in the spaceship actually makes this version for his son, Kal-El, which is uh, red and blue, because these are the ancient diplomatic colors of Krypton as they were exploring the universe. And I felt that all that kind of rationale was there. But you don't hear it said on screen. You just have to be willing yeah. to suspend disbelief. And, and it's about trust. It's about trust that these people are not totally crazy or that even if they are, hey, we're all crazy together. A lot, though, a lot of that roasting of the Snyder films, I think it just got to be too much. And what I found lovable about the Snyder Cut fans, they didn't mind doing the crazy things. I like paying a bunch of money to putting a release, the Snyder Cut uh, banner in the sky or at a soccer game. Uh, they raised uh, over $100,000 for suicide awareness and prevention, which is really good. Uh, that's a great common grace, too. We ought to share this attitude. It's okay to look crazy. And I got, I got, yeah. I got one more. <laughs> I got one more I'm going to rant about. And you get some comments first, and then I, I will finally start to wrap this up. Yeah, well, as a, um, as a well-respected and famous artist of the 90s said, we're never going to survive unless we get a little crazy. Amen. And, and if you know the reference to that, Feel free to comment on this podcast or let us know. I'd, I'd, I'd be really curious to know who knows that reference. But um, yeah, let, let's wrap up really quick. Like you've mentioned, the, the fan reactions, the ratings, the critical reviews of Justice League, the Rotten Tomatoes kind of stuff. So uh, why don't you briefly tell us a little bit about that, and then we'll, um, we'll go to our close. Oh, this is the part where I... Uh, benevolently chuck some fresh tomatoes in the direction of not, not rotten tomatoes. I'm sure they're good folks who mean well, uh, the rotten tomatoes.com website that collects a bunch of reviews. And then what they do is they actually, uh, interpret the critics review to say, Oh, this is a straight up thumbs up or thumbs down review. 
And then based on that score, they put them all together and they say, okay, this is the percentage rating for the movie, whether it's a good movie or just a fair, fair movie or you know, so-so movie or, or a bad movie. Batman v Superman was a bad movie, according to Rotten Tomatoes and other aggregate sites. I don't mean to judge or condemn them, but you can't get an objective view in that way of what is a good movie or a bad movie. Movies are movies. Math is math. You can't fix a number to a movie and then say, there we go. Science. I think this is a false science. It's a, it's a imposter type science. This is art. And while you can say that some movies were badly made, even a badly made movie will apply to somebody. Rotten Tomatoes, I have a lot of, um, a lot of objections to this, that approach, but it's more about the fan response to the Rotten Tomatoes score. Oh, this, here's science, or here's a fact that proves beyond all shadow of doubt that this is a bad movie and that everyone likes it, and therefore something is wrong with you if you don't like it. Uh, we'll put in the show notes a longer quote from my article where I actually describe how I accidentally and then intentionally set a trap for <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes. It's a trap! And I, I kind of said it. And they kind of fell into it, I think. I mean, it's, it's, it's all good-natured stuff. Uh, but I, I'd written a review of the theatrical version of Justice League for the Christianity Today website back in the day. And yeah, I didn't like it. They probably guessed that right. But I also said specifically in the review, uh, this, this movie defies the binary, fresh, or splat uh, Rotten Tomatoes idea. Like, some people are really going to like it. Some people are going to think it's so-so. Others like me, you know, kind of like it, but know that we could have gotten better. So. You can't just rank it thumbs up or thumbs down. Well, they did. For my review, they're like, oh, uh, we guess he didn't like it. So they slapped the, uh, the splat on it, the thumbs down, and all of the other reviewers who would review Justice League, their reviews are getting interpreted like that, and then you get the movie score. You don't score a movie. It's not a school exam. It's not a stinking election. We'll we'll link more to to that in, yeah. in the show notes. I, I've just <laughs> never I've just never paid attention too much. I try to not to either of movies. It, it just to me I just want to go see it for myself. Yeah, it's another. Yeah. I mean, I may have that information in the background just so I can modify my expectations. But it's just another example to me of trend chasing. Uh, even when a, even when a good movie like a DC movie you know puts on their commercial or on the front of the Blu-ray disc or something, certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, well, that's nice. You know, but I care more of what my friends would say about it. To, to understand better, am I more likely to enjoy this story? Because you know, my friends are more like me uh, than, the, than the professional movie reviewer class or even other fans who've ranked the movie. So th it's not that I reject them as a bunch of elitists or something, but I just try to keep their opinion in check. You can't call yeah. the story obviously good or bad. Any story, even the worst stories, can end up helping someone. And then if they truly are helped, and the story was a bad one, eventually they're going to outgrow that story anyway. They're going to see it for what it is. You don't have to be a hero and save them from the bad old bad superhero movie. It's all right. God, God's got this, especially if they're a Christian. Chill out, live your life. And as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love that at Lorehaven, we don't just say that this book is good or that book is bad, or we love this book or we hate this book. Because like you said, Loving or hating a work of art can can be just because of trendy reasons. So why don't you tell our listeners uh, who aren't familiar with Lorehaven, what is different about how we review books? Well, this does feed into not, not just a pitch for Lorehaven reviews, but at Lorehaven Magazine and Lorehaven.com, uh, we decided early on that we weren't going to do number rankings for the books that we review. 
Uh, that was one of the questions that people had. How are you going to review it? Like, well, with a very short, uh, easy to read review that describes the story and then says a bit about how it was executed. And then we have a bit that says, who's the best audience for this book? And then we have a bit that lists a few things that readers of the book may wish to uh, discern. Uh, we only review uh, novels made by Christians, not because we think they're always better or more spiritual or something, but just because that's our, that's our focus. But we don't do star ratings uh, for these fantasy novels. Uh, we also only try to review novels that we feel our, our reviewers uh, will feel are, are mixed positive or, or higher. Uh, we don't review books that we can't like. I mean, honestly, that doesn't mean, hey, if any authors are listening, that doesn't mean, oh, they didn't review my book. That means they didn't like it. Like, well, it doesn't mean it's a bad book. It may mean we had a lot of submissions, or it might mean that one of, you know, none of our reviewers felt that they would like it. So you know, someone else might take heart, take courage. Uh, we would just, uh, we'd rather focus on the best stories that we can find, uh, which may automatically rule out some, but that's okay. Try again, you know, just in case. Uh, we try to match every book uh, to the reviewer that we feel uh, is its a best audience. And by the way, this is sort of, a, sort of a news update here. You can get all those reviews, more reviews free, even if you don't do the free subscription to the magazine at lorehaven.com slash reviews. You can go to that tab at the top of the page and uh, find uh, some, of our, some of our best reviews there. And we're actually rolling those out I think every day, Zach, uh, we just have so many of them, over 120 reviewers now uh, rolling out through this summer and uh, posting those on social media. You should be able to get those recommendations and find a new story to explore, uh, especially uh, even as we're coming out of quarantine. Like It's a good time to start doing something new, something a little crazy. Take a chance on a story that you feel you might like. Uh, and if you feel that uh, you are the reader uh, to whom the story is best suited, according to our reviews. Well, to you, our listeners in Canada, we know there's a bunch of you there in Canada. We would love to hear from you. Send us an email to podcast at lorehaven.com and tell us what is your origin story of how you became a fantastical reader. It's been really fun to see, Stephen, where our podcast goes around the world. And we're going to highlight one region of the world on each new episode uh, in this month and next. So for our Canadian listeners, let us know uh, either through the email podcast at lorehaven.com or just leave us a comment on lorehaven.com and tell us what was the earliest book you can remember that was science fiction, fantasy, or beyond that made you really interested in this genre. Next on Fantastical Truth, for real this time, uh, we have invited Chase Repligal from the Pastor Writer podcast. Uh, we will be exploring one of his favorite topics. Well, speaking of superheroes, actually, what hath superheroes to do with the Bible? We got a little bit in-depth with this discussion, uh, especially exploring the place of Samson in the DNA of superhero stories. But we found, uh, thanks to Chase's uh, insight, some surprising twists about this tale uh, that we should take as a sober warning about uh, heroism and how Christians ought to view that. Meanwhile, Keep all your fandom pursuits focused on Christ. Let's not idolize the gift and worship the gift above the giver. Stay gracious and true, especially with fans or non-fans who disagree or don't care. Don't chase the trends and don't be afraid of looking maybe a little crazy. Act like the capital H hero himself as we keep seeking and finding fantastical truth. <laughs>